0: The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed.
1: Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready, because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge
0: brain. And now, here's Brian. Hello, once again, it is I, the Rembrandt of the podcasting canvas, and always a pleasure to be here with you. It is I, Brian Sovereign. And... Before we get into the bulk of the show, I've just got a few things I want to talk about real quick. Um, One of them is, is that if you listened, if you caught last week, last week we had a double load of Sovereign Tech, um, which was two episodes, one a normal episode, and then also a, which uh, guest starred, actually the producer of Sovereign Tech, Stephanie Murphy. It was a fantastic show, got great reviews on that. Um, And we also did the Bitcoin special Um, which I thought turned out pretty well. And I got some reviews from that. And and while I, I may have messed up on a few things, I made some changes in the, in the show notes to reflect, uh, what I may have gotten wrong. But at the beginning of that episode, you know, I clearly stated that I may get some things wrong, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm not an expert per se on Bitcoin. Um, I am a Jack of all trades in the world of technology, um, but, uh, anyway, so, you know, you can look at the show notes to see what I had to correct. Um, and if you still have other corrections or other things you want to ask me about with Bitcoin, you can email me at sovereign tech at hush.ai, S O V R Y N. Um, and we do have another special coming out next week. It'll be, uh, should be out by Wednesday. And that is, uh, that's a special about dolphins that everybody keeps asking me about. What are you going to say about dolphins? What does that have to do with technology? We'll find out. Um, Another thing, this is pretty exciting. Uh, I was actually asked um, by by Ian Freeman to be a moderator at, he is holding what he's calling Keenvention 2013. Um, which, obviously, uh, you know, Ian Freeman is the, the, the head of Free Talk Live. And Free Talk Live is based out of Keen, and a lot of activism comes out of Keen, Keen, New Hampshire, that is. And um, he's going to hold a Keen Convention there, kind of like a Pork Fest or a Liberty Forum. If you're not sure what those are, uh, you know, get to Google, start typing that stuff in. They're they're, they're great events. Um, so it's a convention, you know, based in Keen, and it's about activism and things like that. And it's from November 1st to the 3rd, uh, 2013. And it's a good and it's a good idea to have it at that time because that way you get to see New Hampshire in the fall and what that feels like. Because I think the number one reason really that that people don't or that I hear from people anyway, uh, that they don't move to New Hampshire for the Free State Project if they're interested in activism is because of the weather. So anyway, so it gives you the chance to get, to get exposed to it. Um, and I'm going to be a moderator uh, for the tech panel. And it's it's a panel about, you know, how technology is moving liberty forward, how it's, a, 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 you know, working with and affecting activism in, in New Hampshire particularly, and how it can individually set you free. Uh, And I got some great guests that are going to be on the panel, Um, but, you know, we'll talk more about that when it gets closer. It's still a little while away, but it'll be in Keene, New Hampshire. It'll be from November 1st to the 3rd, uh, 2013, and it'll be at the Sovereign Hotel. (laughs) I mean, is that perfect or what, huh? Well, where else would it be? I mean, Brian Sovereign at the Sovereign Hotel. You can't beat it. Uh, I, I don't own it, but anyway, um, you can go to www.keenvention.info. That's keene info, Or you can go to Facebook and you could type in Keenvention and uh, you can get your information and, and tickets there. I think tickets are like 50 bucks or something, but it's a three-day event. It's a good time. Uh, actually, with, as far as the Sovereign Hotels goes, it's located at a pretty good spot in Keene where there's plenty of restaurants around and things like that to, you know, to, to grab some food. So check that out. That's uh, at www.keenevention.info And uh, I will be there. I will be there moderating the tech panel. Very exciting. Um, so we got all that, or actually one more thing I wanted to mention. This is uh, a little while ago in an episode I did, as I believe website of the week, I did Google play music which I touted, and I, I, I still use it, you know, it, it's a great service that allows you to upload 20,000 songs for free, and of course, if you actually buy any songs, that's 20,000 of your own personal collection that you can put up there in the cloud, and you can access from your smartphone, from your computer, whatever, um, and the, the, outside of that 20,000, if you buy any songs from Google Play, Um, which it does have a music service and its selection admittedly isn't as good as like iTunes and maybe not even as good as Amazon Um, but it's kind of just starting out so that's okay if if you buy music you know it'll stay there Uh, you you know it doesn't count against your 20,000 and also with the 20,000 songs that you upload to this they will get matched meaning if you have a you know a a low-quality version of a song when you upload it to Google Play completely for free, Google Play Music will actually uh, match it and put a high-quality version on there. Um, and that helps with the upload times because it takes a while to upload a, uh, quite a few songs. And if if, they're, if they just match the song, it doesn't have to actually, you know, upload your version of it. Uh, it's really great, a great service. But there's a caveat that I want to mention, and I didn't realize this until actually today. And that is, the caveat is this when it matches it gives you a clean version of the song um the song i was uh i was listening to is by adam smash uh and uh, it's called do her wrong and there's a line where it says you know she fucks like a hooker and it cut out the word fuck now i mean i listened to adam smash's first album love is in the missile um a million i mean i i listen to that album all the time And so I, (laughs) I know that that was there before. And so when I was listening to it today and it just goes like a hooker, I'm like, Oh, come on. But anyway, you know, that that's a caveat. Um, I'm not sure I'll look into it more as to what can be done about that, but I just want to make sure that you're aware when I recommend, when I recommend any kind of product, website, software, uh, you know, electronics, whatever, uh, you know, I want to, I want to deliver the goods. I, w- I want people to say, okay, yeah, he gives me the full deal, the full disclosure and his opinions, you know, aren't, uh, are, aren't biased or at least they're not biased by, uh, by money or by a company. Um, anyway, so that's out of the way. Let's get into, uh, uh, our story of the week and the story of the week this week is, is amazing to me. This is, this is phenomenal. Um, Totally sounds like science fiction, life in the troposphere. Uh, This is from Gizmodo and it's by Jesus Diaz. So Jesus, Jesus is the, you know, the the Spanish form of Jesus. Jesus is telling us the truth right here. (laughs) Uh, Surprised scientists find life forms six miles above earth's surface. For the first time, scientists have found life forms where nobody thought it was possible floating in the troposphere, the slice of the atmosphere, approximately four to six miles above earth's surface. And not just a tiny few, but, but a lot, 20% of every particle in the atmospheric layer are living organisms. Okay. So 20%, what they thought was just dust and all this business up in the trop, in the troposphere are actually creatures, living creatures Uh, This has profound implications for our understanding of weather, the spread of disease, and life on other planets. Scientists previously believed that all of the suspended particles in the part of the atmosphere were dust and salt. But this new study, the first of its kind, say the researchers, demonstrates that life can exist in places that we couldn't imagine under such extreme conditions living and feeding. Uh, This reminds me somewhat of like the water bear. If you don't know what a water bear is, that is an interesting thing to go to Wikipedia about, because these water bears are practically indestructible uh they, they can exist in the most extreme uh i mean they can like live in space it's it's really weird anyway uh, according to Costas constanitis assistant professor at the georgia institute of technology school of civil and environmental engineering we did not expect to find so many microorganisms in the troposphere which is considered a difficult environment for life there seems to be quite a diversity of species but not all bacteria make it into the upper troposphere so this pretty much is bacteria that's living up there but the bottom is, is back, the bottom line is bacteria is life and it's up there um the organisms were captured on board a nasa dc-8 aircraft equipped with a special probe as part of their genesis and rapid uh intensification process mission uh, a pro- program is designed to study low and high altitude air masses associated with tropical storms they obtained the samples before during and after two major tropical hurricanes in 2010 or Earl and Carl now what is NASA doing you know, looking at the weather and all this stuff this this isn't really new um for the past maybe decade really, that's all NASA has become is is a weather or you know a weather tracking organization um and it's up to you know it's up to debate as to how well they're actually achieving that but that, you know to say, well should NASA be in space no, this is what they've been doing um NASA hasn't done a whole lot of good in space since the 80s anyway. You know, let, let, let's let just face facts. Um, anyway, once the particles were captured in the instrument's filters, scientists analyzed them using genomic techniques. These included uh, polymerase chain re- PCR and, or, I'm sorry, yeah, the PCR and gene sequencing. Um, these, according to the study, allowed them to detect the microorganisms and estimate their quantities without using conventional cell culture techniques they discovered living bacteria cells in the size range of 0.25 to 1 microns in diameter and some fun fungi, fungi uh depending on where the air masses came from the bacteria was of marine or terrestrial origin okay so this stuff's like getting lifted up or whichever but it's living it's alive up there uh and bacteria can live in some pretty crazy places i have to say like there's the idea or there's not the idea the reality of what's called black smokers at the very, very bottom, like literally touching, you know, the, the, the crust of the earth, the magma, uh, which has a magma layer under it. And you can like these black smokers is literally, you know, the magma layer letting off steam into the ocean. And in the, I mean, these, this is miles down and things live down there, you know, even, even though it's just bacteria, things live down there. And I mean, and that's, that's just what we know of, you know, uh, I mean, clearly as this article shows, we're still discovering new life all the time all the time you know just on our own earth and i think i think that's pretty amazing um anyway we'll keep going with the article uh the profound implications in the paper published in the journal proceedings of the national academy of sciences the scientists postulate that these organisms organisms may play an important role in weather according to professor athanosios nenis from the georgia tech school of earth and Atmospheric Sciences and School of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering, they could affect the clouds and the formation of ice. In the absence of dust or other materials that could provide a good nucleus for ice formation, just having a small number of these microorganisms around could facilitate the formation of ice at these altitudes and attract surrounding moisture. If they are the right size for forming ice, they could affect the clouds around them. The hurricanes may in turn play a vital role in the spread of these microorganisms, having moving vast amounts of bacteria over very long distances scientists believe that these bacteria and fungi may feed on the carbon compounds found floating in the air but they are not sure yet so they don't even know what these things are eating that they're still alive um, constantinitis says that for these organisms perhaps the conditions may not be that harsh I wouldn't be surprised if there is active life and growth in clouds but this is something we cannot say for sure now does this mean that there may be other bacteria floating in the atmosphere of other planets Perhaps if they can make it here, there's no reason to think it's not happening elsewhere. Yet another place to look for life. Now that is positively fascinating. I mean, this is, this is genuinely earth shattering stuff. Uh, The idea that life forms in the air are actually causing the weather that, that, you know, we interact with every day. Um, And the idea that, that there could be entire ecosystems inside of clouds, that, that is far out. How else can you say it? That is amazing. And this raises one of this raises some big questions. If life can can exist in in these kinds of conditions and things like that, you know, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, of course, I was in the eighties when I was a little kid. Um, I used to love it, at, at the the public library. Uh, they'd have all these books with these great artists. You know, at the time uh, in the eighties, we didn't have all the the, the stellar cartography and, and photography that we do now. Stellar, as in like literally the cosmos. Um, not stellar isn't great but uh, the photography today is great too and so they used to have to have artists to draw this stuff up because we just didn't have great pictures and it did make it very exciting especially in, in books geared more towards younger people and I remember looking at, at some books and they would like they would they would speculate because it was artists and so the human imagination which is so important imagination is more important than knowledge in my opinion uh, actually Albert Einstein said that, but the, the artist's imagination couldn't help but go in. And when they do things like when they draw stuff, uh, like they draw like Jupiter and okay, you know, what is an artist's depiction of the, the atmosphere of Jupiter? And then they'd speculate and they toss in like these, like gaseous, uh, um, you know, I mean, cause, cause the atmosphere of Jupiter is, is, is all gas, you know, to, to the best of our knowledge. And so they, they, they put, they put in these creatures that looked like they had like balloons, you know, like they, they had these air sacs on their back and they'd just be floating around, you know, on, 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 Jupiter, uh, or similar things with like Venus, you know, that they, that they would do. And now here's something, here's science catching up with the artist's imagination saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe life can exist in such terrible conditions and maybe it's out there. Doesn't mean it's intelligent, intelligent life is, you know, uh, intelligent, conscious life, moral life is another story. Uh, but you know, you might be interested to hear my thoughts on that, but I won't go into that right now. Uh, but this is incredible. You know, we're, we're literally discovering a whole new type of ecosystem that exists on our very own planet. Um, and you, you know, people can say that, uh, well, this is a, you know, if government wasn't funding science, we'd never find this out. Well, I'll say, I'll say this right now that, 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 that's nonsense that we wouldn't figure this stuff out, you know, without government. Um, If anything, you know, NASA is so far behind in the equipment that they use. They always are Uh, because of an actual lack of funding. um, I think someone in the private sector, you know, would have would have looked into or would have happened upon this discovery. I don't think anybody was expecting life up there at all. I don't think anyone really imagined that, at least not on Earth. I understand. Like I said, they did on other planets. But on earth maybe they didn't think about it so much but I think this would have been found out on 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 accident if uh, you know if maybe if the world was run you know uh, not by governments but perhaps you know under under the uh, uh, under the the protection of insurance agencies and insurance agencies would be interested in how weather works and then they'd probably have found this out because they would have a vested as in monetary interest in how can we, you know, how can we keep homes from getting blown over and things like that? And then maybe they would have found out, hey, look, hurricanes are lifting this stuff up out of the, you know, is lifting life into the air. That life in the air is collecting ice around it if it's large enough. And, I mean, in this, and still some of that's theoretical, of course, according to the article. But you know and and so what do we do about this how how do we solve this problem you know and and i don't and i'm not saying that the private sector because oh you know it's anarchy and there wouldn't be anybody to tell them what to do that suddenly they would say okay well we got to find a way to keep these this life from getting up there and uh you know and and then we can control the weather or something maybe they try to control the weather but i think there there'd be some pretty you know if a company came out and said yeah you know we're going to harm life uh, you know, these microorganisms or something. I mean, people, there, there's a lot of people that care about this sort of thing that, that they would, they would take issue with it. And, you know, e- equally say, say they'd, I mean, we're we're talking a very hypothetical society here. Um, you know, you, you can't, I mean, this is amazing. No, I don't think anybody expected this. And the point is, what I get out of this is it's much like the line that Jeff Goldblum gives in Jurassic Park, where he says my point is is that life finds a way and that's really it life finds a way no matter where it is and you know and how, how it's going uh, life finds a way to live inside of clouds apparently life finds a way to exist to some it's eating something they were talking about you know that it's just grabbing carbon from the air but life finds a way and I just I think that's positively fascinating uh, when I saw this article I just had to share it on Facebook Um, though I didn't share it through the Sovereign Tech page, but maybe I should start doing that. Uh, you know, if I get more followers on, on Facebook, you know, I might get quite a bit more active with it. Uh, that's, that's facebook.com slash pages slash Sovereign Tech, S O V R Y N. You can check it out. Um, or you can go, we actually, we have a, I just redesigned the Sovereign Tech Tumblr page, SovereignTech.tumblr.com. And I've, I've, I've gotten, you know, good reviews on that and I welcome you to check it out and actually from there uh, you can from the news new tumblr page you can link right to Facebook right to SoundCloud right to YouTube Um, even uh, I I started a uh, uh, an Instagram uh, uh, page or you know uh, account and so you know I'll be taking pictures at these various things that I go to kind of like convention that I mentioned earlier so anyway great This is just amazing science. The link will be in the show notes. Check it out for yourself. And uh, I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette you want to play? And it is time for Tech Roulette, where I go over stories that get submitted to me through various ways, be it the email at SovereignTech at Hush.ai, uh, or given to me on Facebook, or someone that I know just kind of says, hey, you know, you should check this out. What do you think of this story? And a lot of times, you know, I'll just say, oh, well, I'll review it on Sovereign Tech. You'll have to give it a listen, and we'll check it out. Um, this I actually have two things. One of them wasn't submitted directly to me, but I've got two. They're both kind of—they're kind of short. Well, the first one is, and I, this is, this is hilarious. Um, this is about the, this is more science. Um, I've been doing, this is a show about science and technology, even though I tout the technology part quite a bit, just because, you know, that's a, that's a big area of my interest. Anyway, this, this is another science story, just like the, uh, you know, at the beginning of the show. And this is about the Brazilian wandering spider. And, and this is great. This is just real short. I, I love this. Um, this is a... They're considered pretty much the deadliest spider on the planet overall they're not the deadliest humans um because uh much like actually i i think the most venomous this might be an urban myth and and you can correct me uh if it is but I think the most venomous spider out there is what they call the, the either the granddaddy or the the dandy long legs and even though they have all that venom because their uh their fangs essentially you know, that their, their bite can't break human skin, so it can't kill you. Otherwise, apparently it would. Anyway, the Brazilian wandering spider, kind of the same deal where it can't like, it just, it can't inject you enough to where it's going to kill you, but it has an interesting side effect. And what the venom actually can do, depending, I guess, on where it bites you is in men, in human men, it creates erections, penile erections, Uh, that apparently are uncomfortable and can last for many hours and can lead to impotence. Now, it's unfortunate that it can lead to impotence. Interestingly, though, because it can lead to impotence, they're looking into, you know, ways to counteract that to see if it can actually counteract normal human, uh, you know, normal erectile dysfunction uh, uh, occurrences, you know. So they're trying to create a treatment out of this. But anyway, uh, you know, I think this is, (laughs) I love spiders and, you know, I wouldn't mind getting bit by one of these. (laughs) I just, I, I saw that there, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, on, on Facebook, there's a, there's a page called I fucking love science and, and, and they, they just post stuff all day long, you know, little memes or whatever and pictures. And this was one of them. They talked about it. And I just thought that was, I was like, wow, that, that is awesome. I, I want one of those spiders, but, uh, Anyway, we'll move on from that and we'll go to our, to our main tech roulette. I, I just, I thought that was so cool. You know, I mean, who an erection for hours. I mean, it, it, real quick. I mean, a lot of people have gotten to know me for, you know, kind of my opulent nature. Um, and I am a person to some degree means, you know, so, so, so I can do that. But I also, I am a libertine. I mean, I love sex. Sex is so great. Um so so you can envision where where this you know the spider would uh entice me. Uh anyway, we'll move on to uh, to something not so cool uh, unfortunately. But uh this story this is another story from Gizmodo. And this is by Jamie Condliff. and this is this a DNA gun will tag felons for weeks. Oh my Uh, and you'll see it in the, you can go to the link in the show notes and this is like this bright orange gun. I don't know if, uh, if they're all going to be bright orange, but anyway, that's a way of like, it's saying that it's not lethal. Um, yeah, this startling orange gun isn't something from a sci-fi film set. It does look pretty futuristic. Um, instead it's a new firearm from UK based SelectaMark that fires non-lethal pellets and marks its targets with DNA for later identification. Designed for use by police and military, the gun fires soft little green pellets pictured below, weighing just one gram, when they hit a target they leave an enduring biological mark. Andrew, Andrew Knights from Selectamark explains on contact with the target, the uniquely coded select DNA solution leaves a synthetic DNA trace mark that will enable the relevant authorities to confirm or eliminate that person from their involvement and not eliminate as and kill them uh but to to eliminate their you know uh you know relevance uh that person from their involvement in a particular situation and could ultimately lead to arrest and prosecution accurate over distances up to 40 meters the gun allows police to tag villains with dna which should in theory remain on an offender for weeks as non-lethal but incriminating techniques go this sure seems one of the most futuristic now th- this is pretty interesting uh, kind of the reverse of, of the, the judge dread, uh, Mark II gun, which, uh, in, in judge dread, like the, the guns that you hold are actually encoded to your DNA. So you can only shoot it if you have the right DNA. Otherwise, like it zaps you and you, you, know, and you fall down and, uh, I think in some cases could die. Anyway, this is kind of the reverse where the, the gun is, you know, is shooting DNA out that, you know, specific DNA that can track what a person did and you know, I, I, I'm all for non-lethal solutions on anything really, but this is pretty scary because, you know, who has access to this DNA? Um, I see this as a way for people to get framed very easily. You know, if, the, I mean, it depends on how the courts are going to react to this, you know? Okay. So this person, you know, so, so this, this kind of DNA, uh you know was was shot by this this police officer over here who was over there so this can't be the person because it's almost like creating an instantaneous alibi and i get that but you know i mean what are the laws going to be behind this are you forced to get dna shot on you you know does this break your privacy laws now, this is in the UK, which I mean they're 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 kind of funny. I don't know that they have exactly a, a Fourth Amendment like the United States does. Not that anybody in the United States cares about the Fourth Amendment anyway. Uh, at least in the government, I should say. Uh, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of Americans that give that, that care about the Fourth Amendment. But this is this is really creepy stuff. Because, you know, this is kind of like the Who Watches the Watchers thing. Um, you know, and actually, you know, I mentioned Judge Dredd. That's an interesting thing to look up because in Judge Dredd, the, the character actually gets framed because his DNA matches the gun that was used to kill somebody when actually, you know, th- th- I won't go into the whole plot line, but someone else had similar DNA, uh, essentially and, you know, and, and so, you know, he was framed. So the character of Judge Dredd was fa- was framed and, you know, and it's, you can say, well, that's in a movie. But, you know, I say this all the time on Sovereign Tech. Science fiction is not just fiction. There, it says science. And that's the thing. So much in science fiction gets kind of pushed. Um, you know, people want that, what they read, especially if it's exciting. Um, or if it's something that, like, you know, really you know, people with, with power complexes, um, you know, think that they can use to control people, you know, they get excited about it, too. And so science fiction is important to look at because I guarantee you this idea came from some sci-fi novel that I'm just not aware of. If you're aware of it, uh, don't hesitate to send me an email, sovereign tech at hush.ai. And, and I'll give you full credit if you want it. And, you know, and, and I'll mention it, uh, in a future episode as well as in the show notes. Um, so, so it's important to look at science fiction to see how these things can be, you know, okay, fine. The idea comes from science fiction. And it gets used very well in such in like a future society or whichever. But then science fiction can also explore through the element of fiction and imagination how it can be abused. And that's very important. OK, uh, you know, if you're in an I mean, if you just want to know how things are going to, you know, how how, how everything's going to develop and stuff like a lot of people are wondered about the singularity and things like that. You can look into you know you want you want to know a great a, a great what to think about the singularity. Check out there's a movie from from the 50s called Forbidden Planet. It's kind of like the classic science fiction movie, maybe the greatest science fiction movie ever, because every science fiction movie ever since has really copied uh, a lot of its tropes and a lot of the things within it. And if you look into that, you can kind of find out what might happen if if there was a singularity. So anyway, th- this gun is scary. L- let's make sure this stuff doesn't get you know, gets at least verbally opposed. And uh, this is Brian Sovereign, and I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech.
1: Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a, a god in my life.
0: Brian Sovereign is guest co-host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we were, just, we're just added Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't... Oh. Is he he's, good? He's been in the audience. He's, oh, he's yeah, certainly we've... got opinions on things, yes. I'm so close to being like God, no one is above me. Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And, uh, I mean, that, that's... How much closer to God can you get?
1: Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down!
0: Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S O V R Y N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. Wow.
1: Wow.
0: It's a website of the week it is website of the week where i pick a website on the internet and you know and that i think is useful or exciting or tickles my fancy in some way and i get to share it with you and i generally pick up you know things that uh i pick out things that i think can be useful to to my listeners and uh speaking of my listeners i got a great comment i i love i have to mention this this was so good but one of my listeners actually said on on facebook to me um he he kindly said he said Brian Sovereign doesn't have a God complex, God has a Brian Sovereign complex, and I <laughs> I thought that was so cool you know uh, I, I that that was that was great. Um, maybe at some point I'll, I'll get it put into a house ad or something, but uh, but I I just thought that was real classy. Uh, anyway, so the, the website of the week this week is duolingo.com. dot com d u o l i n g o dot com and Duolingo, Duolingo, dual lingo, dual language. It's exactly what it says. Um it is it's much like uh, uh Rosetta Rosetta Cohen, just kidding. Rosetta Stone. Um that that was a little joke. Uh, you can go to YouTube and look up Rosetta Cohen, c-o-h-e-n and and you'll get it. Uh I'm a terrible Jew. Uh okay. <laughs> so Rosetta this is like Rosetta Stone. Um where you know, it's based on, a, you know, a lot of phonetic and it has a whole bunch of different ways for you to learn various languages and it's all free and it's all done, you know, completely online. You could sign in with your Facebook account if you want. Um, I do kind of warn against people using their Facebook account to sign into everything just because if you ever lost your Facebook, which I think is something that may end up coming up very soon when Facebook becomes even more pervasive in our lives with employers and things like that. Uh, so, you know, but you can sign in with Facebook if that's nice and easy for you. And there's only a few languages that they're starting with. Uh, there's Spanish, obviously, which is a great one to learn. Very useful. Um, there's French, uh, German, which is interesting. And they have a couple languages in beta. They have Portuguese and Italian. Um, and you can also recommend other languages to them, um, but that's pretty good five languages for free and you, you kind of do it every day and it sends you emails saying, you know, don't forget to, to, you know, do your lesson today or whichever, which is nice, you know, just to get that little, uh, get the little reminder. Uh, but, but it's, it, and, and actually I think it's, it's so basic. It's like all nice and cartoonily done. You know, I, I think the presentation's actually a lot better than Rosetta stone. Um, and, and so it works good for kids. Like, there's this little bird that kind of, like, tells you how to do everything. So it's it's good for everybody. It has different levels. You know, it has a whole skill tree. And it gives you points and everything, kind of makes it into a game. And that's good for everybody. I mean, everybody enjoys a good game, be it a kid or an adult or or whatever. But really, really basic. Uh, I think it has, like, an app for iPhone that, you know, that helps you, you know, go further with it. They do not have one for Android as far as I know. Uh, but hopefully that'll be coming because I think this is really, really great. Uh, I think it's a good thing to learn other languages. Uh, you know, I mean, it valued on importance, of course, you know, I mean, you know, everything's value is subjective. So, you know, if you don't want to learn another language, don't, but, uh, but I think it's a handy thing to have, you know, I'm reminded of a lot of sayings that I actually learned, um, when I was in the military for a little while, like the idea that, uh, learning another language gives a person another soul. Uh, you know, or that, that another language gives you a new way to think. And I think that's very true. Um, because you know, there are things that get lost in translation. There are things that you can only understand. Um, you, you know, here's a really dorky example. The word Kapla. Okay. Kapla is actually Klingon, uh, from Star Trek, that, that Klingon and Kapla means success. Okay. That's what it translates as. But what it actually means more to a Klingon, if you understand Klingon culture, which is a warrior culture, I know I realize this is all fake, but that's what makes it so fun. It, it's not just success, it's like success with, you know, your enemies failed. I mean, there's just like, there's so much connotation in that that you can't just wrap up in the word success. It's not like you just did a good job. It's like, you know, your enemies fell before you. uh, You listen to the lamentations, you know, of whoever. And. It, 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 that's how it works. You know, That that's how language is, is that there's just there's some things that you just, you know, you can't translate. So getting another language in your head gives you another arsenal of feelings, perhaps, perhaps. And this is an intriguing thing. Maybe it's a new way to look at yourself, to psychoanalyze yourself. You know, one thing I really I like. There, there's a there's a, 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 psycho, a psychological uh, uh, tactic, I'll say, called IFS. Uh, internal family systems and what it is it's like looking at the various parts of your mentality of your personality and I think it's an ingenious uh, way of doing things and it's it's so that you can do self-therapy essentially and you know I wonder if you develop you know kind of another part uh, this isn't like multiple personality disorder or anything but if you develop like another language can that language look at your other parts and maybe give you some brand new insight into things I wonder about that. I don't know that I've ever heard that discussed. Maybe I did, and I'm just reiterating it, but I I really don't recall it happening. So duolingo.com, totally free way to learn new languages. Uh, I think it's great. Check it out, and I'll have the link in the show notes, and we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. Return well, freedom. Freedom!
1: Watch Babylon 5.
0: You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the WB.com slash shows slash Babylon 5.
1: Software of the
0: Week. It is time for Software of the Week where we get to talk about you know, various types of software that I consider useful and, you know, that I want to share with you and that maybe you can find useful as well. But if you'll excuse me, I just have to have a little sip of Earl Grey tea. Mm, amazing. That's actually Earl Greyer tea. So take that Picard. Um, all right, let's get right into uh, software of the week and, and this week's software. I love this. Now I love to write. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons I got into technology was because it allowed me to, as a, as a kid, it allowed me to write very easily, you know, without needing tons of paper and everything the stuff just appeared and I could write, you know, forever essentially. And I mean, a lot of people use for writing, you know, on computers is, is Microsoft word, Microsoft office essentially. And a lot of people do, I mean, whether are using a Mac or, you know, or when or a windows computer, you know you're probably using some degree of office uh, and there's great alternatives out there to office to do all kinds of things um, and in particular that you can use say if you want to use Linux and but here here this this program I'm about to talk about is just for writing writing alone and it's actually a good thing you know there's the idea that you can have like a Swiss Army knife that can do all this stuff but it can't do one thing very well you know it can do 20 things but it does them all kind of you know okay well, here the, the, this this is the answer to that as far as writing goes, and it's called Focus Writer. It's totally free. That's all one word, Focus Writer, and uh, the link for it I'll will have in the show notes. But Focus Writer it works on Linux, Mac. It, it works on Windows, and also as, as far as like with Windows, um, you know, a software that I, I tout on the show all the time, portable apps, portableapps dot uh, They have a portable app the version of Focus Writer. That you can just carry with you wherever you go. That way, whatever computer you're using, you can just open this up. And here's the beauty of what this does, of what Focus Writer does. Um, you know, it doesn't have a whole ton of features, it, you know, and it, and it only does certain, like, file types. It's not like Office or OpenOffice or LibreOffice where, you know, it can do 20 million, um, you know, different, different uh, file types. It only does a few, and, but here, here's what's cool. It actually, it just blanks out your whole screen and creates, you know, a, a surface essentially to write on and you type and all you're seeing, all the distractions, this is the whole, that's why it's called focus writer because all the distractions are gone. You don't see the Facebook pop-ups. You don't, you know, none of the notifications, you don't have a movie going on in the background, all of which is fine. I do that all the time myself during writing. Um, but you know, now you could still play music while it's going. But it just, it, it eliminates everything. And it's got great themes. It can have it like where it can show a nice peaceful picture in the background while you're, you know, while you're typing. Uh, it has the, the infamous green screen that hackers, because, you know, they're hackers, so they have to use black screens with green writing on them. <laughs> a little joke. Uh, or it has a gray. So it has, it has a few options as far as that goes. It also has the ability to, you, you can turn on an option where it actually makes typewriter sounds. You know, out, out of your computer speakers or in your headphones. Um, it has, you know, a lot of statistics stuff. It does auto save. Uh, you know, I mean, it has a lot of nice little options. It's just not like office where it has this, you know, these ribbons across the, you know, the the ribbon, uh, uh, GUI across the top that, you know, with these million spreadsheets, blah, blah, blah. No, this is just for writing. This is for pure raw writing. The rest of the world turns off. It's just you and the book, which is great. I love that attitude uh, you know, that this, that this allows to deliver. And it's funny, you know, I challenge people to use something like focus writer, because when you do, it's funny how you're just like waiting. It's like, Oh, where's where a notification? Where's a notification? And granted, I mean, I think a lot of people would just get around that by like having their, uh, you know, having their phone right there and you know, which can show all the notifications and everything anyway, but this is really, really cool. And the only feature I feel that it's kind of missing is I, I wish it like, I love how it has, it has like a daily goals that you can set. It has timers and alarms built into it, you know? So that way it's like, okay, I want to get 10,000 words in today or, or whatever. The only thing I wish it had, I wish it had like backup to Google docs or to Google drive. I mean, because I love Google drive. I use that endlessly. So if it had that, it'd probably be the perfect program. But for what it is, for what it does, I just think it is so cool. And again, it's portable. You can take it with you anywhere. You can pop it on a little SD card or on a flash drive or on a hard drive, whatever. Um, and, and it just goes with you. And, and that is that is so, so great. And, and again, like and I really, I actually, what I think is a lot of fun is doing my personal favorite is the, the black screen with the green writing, uh, what they call green screen And I, I just, I, I think that's, that's, that's great stuff because, you know, it it gives you kind of that like eighties feel to it. And, and also it better, it better says, like, I think mentally it says to you, no, you're doing one thing right now. And it kind of brings, I mean, for me, it brings me back to like the DOS days, um, you know, where, where in DOS you could only do one thing at a time, um. Which in with computers today, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of computers. That's where they still kind of even though this is changing. That's where they still kind of like best out the tablets and smartphones is because computers can do 20 million things at once, which is great. I'm not knocking that at all. But there's something, you know, there's something about to the idea that you, you know, when you want to write, turn the world off and just get lost in whatever universe you're creating Uh, or whatever history you're reliving, um, you know, or, or if you're doing, you know, nonfiction, you know, get lost in the ideas that you're trying to bring out to people or or that you're trying to express from within yourself, you know? And, and I think I really, I think this is very, very powerful. Um, and and I think you can, you can actually, you can put any picture in the background on this. Uh, you'll have to go to the website to see what this really looks like, or, you know, download it for yourself and check it out. Um, and again totally free but i think like i i could see someone you know putting a picture of like uh, uh like the moon europa you know in our solar system and just going wild with the idea okay well europa has an atmosphere there's pro- there's water there there's all this stuff you know and, and and you could just have that picture and you could really get lost in the moment of of the writing and i i think that is so so powerful and so cool so yeah check it out uh focus writer and again, it works for Windows. Works for Apple. You know, it works on on Linux. I mean, pretty much any Linux thing you could imagine. I imagine it works on FreeBSD. Uh, yeah, in fact, I'm 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 positive it works on FreeBSD. BSD is actually the kind of the the bastard stepchild of of Linux, uh, but maybe better. But anyway, yeah, it works for all that. So you can't beat it. I love cross-platform on Sovereign Tech. Generally, when I do Software of the Week, I do my best. I want it to be cross-platform because people who can use, you know, the beauty of choice is use what works for you. And, you know, I'm not a big one on Macs, but you are. And that's great because Mac works and they work well. You know, I had a Mac. Actually, I had an iMac, one of the very first iMacs from 98, and it's still in use today. Not by me, but I know the person who is using it, and it still gets used for, like, cooking recipes and all that stuff. Amazing. So this works all over the place. Mac, Linux, you call it. Uh, Focus writer, check it out in the show notes. And this is Brian Sovereign. I'll be right back. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.fm show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Ryan! Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. Thank you, Stephanie, and thank you, Bit Shifter, for the words and the music. I love that. I, I that intro is so funny. Um, anyway, it's Game Talk, where we get to talk about games, and uh, you know, it's not always about how it can set you free, but uh, I think it's important to talk about games. I think play. Uh, I, I think the more. This is kind of an old saying, but the more developed the mind the more advanced the thinking i think the more importance play takes in uh you know in that person's life and so you know we're going to talk about game talk you know which i said in the past might be my favorite part of the show anyway we got a great story here from pc gamer great depending on how you feel about it but uh it's valve sued by german consumer group because steam users can't resell games okay now valve is the company they're they're famous for making the games called half-life and they are now very famous because they created the the PC gaming as well as Mac and Linux gaming platform known as steam which is like a store and it downloads the games for you and you can play the games often Mm -hmm. it has a social network built into it it's really great I use steam all the time it's fabulous and so they're getting sued by German, by a German consumer group uh, because you can't resell games on Steam. Let's go right into the story. Uh, the Federation of German Consumer Organizations is suing Valve over Steam's refusal to let users resell their games. According to Carola Albrecht, the VZVB, that's the name of the Federation of German Consumer Organizations, project manager for digital consumer rights, Steam users should be given the same rights as owners of traditional board games allowed to sell their used copies on at will okay now okay this is a consumer organization I don't know to what degree they're involved with the government but this just goes to show how far behind so many people are on how the world actually works now they can't keep up and any of these bureaucracies which this certainly is a type of bureaucracy they like traditional board games are you kidding I love board games, and they still have a place, and there's a lot of people who are real enthusiasts. I know some friends of the show who are very much enthusiastic about board games, and I love them, too. But that is so—how can you compare? How can you compare, um, you know, p- pick the game? How can you compare Borderlands to to, to to a board game? Come on. It doesn't happen. I mean, even when, you know, one of my favorite games, one of my favorite board games, actually, is uh, Risk. And I buy it pretty much every time it comes out for some kind of you know console or or PC, and they always have to add in this whole bunch of stuff to try and make it exciting to try and compete with the games. They're they're two different animals. You know, it's so far behind in this thinking, it, it just it just shows you know the the weakness of bureaucracy. But anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, the complaint is that purchased games are tied to a user's Steam account with no option to transfer the license to a third party. The organization also notes that for for those games that use Steamworks, Steamworks is a developer platform inside of Steam. It makes no difference whether a game was purchased online or as physical media, as either way the game is locked into a Steam account on installation. Now, this is true. Uh, when I bought Duke Nukem Forever, I bought the uh, the Balls of Steel edition. Uh, I've got Balls of Steel. Anyway, that if you know Duke Nukem, you'd, you'd get that, uh, and. You know i bought it in store i went for a midnight showing or a midnight release at, at a game stop and i bought it and you know okay there's a physical disc in there but it just wanted you know steam just wanted the code inside the game box and then it did it all on its own and it, it didn't even install from the disc uh anyway so that's true but we'll go on the lawsuit follows a cease and desist order the company issued to valve back in september That action was prompted by not only the resale issue, but also in response to the updated steam subscriber agreement, which prohibited class action loss, class action suits against the company. This is becoming very popular where the big companies like Google. Now it appears steam. uh, A lot of these digital companies or companies that deal in digital goods are coming out and saying, look, okay, this is your property. No one can infringe on your property, whatever. I mean, you know, the conversation go on about that. But anyway, no one can infringe upon your property. But if they do, you can't, you know, you can't do anything. You can't sue us about it. Uh, Google Drive, Google Docs has kind of the same, uh, uh, has the same laws. Anyway, so this is becoming very popular. But, you know, it's your choice on whether or not you want to want to use them. Um, The consumer group have attempted to sue Valve over game reselling before, but the case was dismissed by the German Federal Court of Justice in 2010. However, back in July, the Court of Justice of the European Union ruled that the trading of used software licenses was legal, and the VZVB are hoping that this lends credence to their case. Of course, Valve aren't alone in this practice. No digital distributor offers the option to sell on your used licenses to a third party. Albrecht says that while Valve are the... are the target the suit is meant to serve as a signal to other distributors that operate the same way okay so it, this valve deals mainly on pc games i mean they're also like on ps3 to some degree but they mainly deal in pc mac and linux games and unlike where you could get an xbox 360 or a ps3 um, or a nintendo system uh, which i would recommend um you know you can buy the game and then you can like trade it in uh to to a, you know a GameStop or you could just sell it to a buddy or you could trade with a buddy you know do like a barter thing and it it works like a barter system and that's pretty cool in fact i know a lot of people especially younger people you know per se that don't always have you know a lot of disposable income um they'll, they'll get a bunch of games for for christmas and you know they'll play them they'll play them endlessly and then when they're really done and they've really beaten them all they'll go take it to the store and they'll trade out for the next new hot game that comes out every month and so I understand that and I think that's great that that kind of system exists and it kind of gives like console games, I suppose, a degree of intrinsic value maybe. But at the same time, um, I, I don't know, I, I have I've always wanted a lot of these brick and mortar game stores to actually go away because it creates added cost into the games like Steam in particular. Here's the thing, too. Here's the thing with Steam. Steam gives discounts all the time. They have sales every season. They have their autumn sale. They have their winter sale, uh, their summer sale, which is their most popular, where they're selling, you know, games that that just came out like two, three months ago. They're selling them for like 75% off for a little while. They also have their deal of the day where one game... Or, or more, they have their weekend deals too, where their games will have, uh, you know, th- they'll be, again, 75% off or 50% off or 33% off. They'll, they'll sell for this extremely low price. How, I mean, are they going to have to keep track of how much you actually paid for the game and then whether it's worth reselling, you know, at, at what at what value is it worth reselling? That's crazy. And, and equally, Steam has also, uh, fortunately, or, or I mean to their credit, uh, Steam has set up where if you actually if you buy a game and like sometimes you get games gifted and you haven't actually downloaded it or played it at all, you can sell the game back or you can kind of trade the game with someone else. That doesn't work with every game, but it is something they're considering because they realize there's value in it, but they did that without any government mandate. They just did it because they're like, well, you know, this is a model that exists for getting games, and so we, we should probably look into this and see what we can do. Steam will solve this on their own. If it's that big a deal, but at the same time, I don't know that it's even a problem because like I said, most people can get games, especially like if you pre-purchase the game, uh, you get a bunch of like added features and everything. And so, do, you know, because you get like the, you know, cause it's a pre-order, what they call a pre-order perk. Um, you know, you'll get like extra skins for the game or extra levels or something. And so do those get traded back? I mean, how do you actually even gauge the value You know, as to where when it's a board game, you got all the pieces, you know, it's just this, you know, thing that really exists, which, which is fine. Uh, You can easily gauge the value. You can't gauge the value of, of a steam game of a digitally downloaded game, especially with, you know, a lot of what they call DLC downloadable content and things like that. Uh, It's a false economy to, to even compare them. But anyway, you know, what is the value? How is it fair? Well, I want to trade this. This is a AAA release, which means it's an expensive game around $60, you know, high demand, highly developed. So a month down the line, you get Assassin's Creed 3, and then you want to trade it with, um, you know, with Borderlands 2. What if you got Assassin's Creed 3 for 50% off? Then what, Steam's supposed to honor you getting, you know, getting uh, Borderlands 2 at full price? I mean, there's there's no sense there. That doesn't make any sense. So, you know, again, the main thing that I get out of this story is just showing how far behind. Now, I mean, because the EU said, oh, yeah, now, I mean, the German federal court, you know, a little more localized. They said, oh, no, yeah, no, nah, nah, it's, you know, this, this this is this is nonsense. But the EU said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Software license, you know, use software licenses were legal and whatever. The government doesn't get it. They don't understand. I mean, and what's the average, you know, and, and not to make this about age or anything, but the average age of 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 a, of a, you know, a federal justice in, or, you know, a justice of the European Union, 50, 60, 70, you know, they, they didn't grow up with video games. They didn't grow up with the digital world at all. You know, what are they supposed to grasp? That's not an insult because there's plenty of people like Walt Mossberg, guys that are you know, very up there in age that that have a great understanding of how, uh, you know, the digital world works, but clearly these people who have spent their whole lives, you know, going going through the government system or whatever, they they just they don't they just don't understand. Um, and and that's unfortunate. You know, that's really unfortunate. And I'm sure someone there tried to explain it to them. I'm sure Steam tried to explain it to them, but it probably all sounded alien. You know, it's like, well, well, what do you mean there aren't physical copies? Well, I mean we we you know we we just download it to you and that way we don't have to, we can give you the cheap prices and the great service at cheap prices because we don't have to pay for employees, we don't have to pay, pay land taxes to have actual buildings up. We don't have to pay city taxes, state taxes, federal taxes. We don't have to pay any of this stuff, you know, except for our own building, our one building that we distribute all this stuff from. Uh, and the cost goes down to the, you know, the cost goes down for the consumer. This is the thing. This is why I want these brick and mortar stores to go because they're ripping people off. They really are. I understand the value of trading things in and out. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm just one of those guys that, that likes to, likes to keep his collection, you know, as kind of a, kind of a nerd bragging rights, but really, you know. There's ways to do it cheaper. There's ways for you to get better value and for the company that you want to support by buying their games get more profit, thus more value for them. You know, without these without the you know, this used game and brick and mortar stuff. So, anyway, that was game talk and we'll be back with more CyberTech.
1: Are you searching for a mouth-watering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There, you'll find George's Famous Baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's Famous Baklava also has a treat for you golden delicious low-carb gluten-free almond cookies order with paypal or bitcoins in just a few days your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep one more time that's m-a-n-d-r-i-k dot for george's famous bakobot
0: hacker it stories it is time for hacker stories that's right story time with Brian Sovereign. And this week I'm going to be taking another uh another story from 2600, which is a great great hacker magazine. It's actually the Hacker Quarterly uh that I recommend anybody, you know, read. Uh, it gives you a great insight into the hacker world. It talks about what modern hackers are doing as well as what hackers in the past were doing. And th- this story in particular I think is really great. Um, It's by Chris McKinstry, whether or not that's his real name. Again, he's a hacker. You know, anonymity is part of the game. And this is from spring of 2003, and it's called A Hacker Goes to Iraq. On the face of it, it seems rather odd. Why on earth would a hacker go to live in Iraq, the most isolated country in the world? Internet connections certainly must be hard to come by in a country where there are no ISPs, and sole provider of internet services is the Ministry of Culture and Information. Boy, that sounds terrible. In fact, until halfway through the year 2000, the ministry restricted internet use to the government itself. In July of 2000, according to CNN and the BBC, there was at least one internet cafe in the center of Baghdad. But today, I can find no evidence of this. Uh, backpackers.com was zero as the count of internet cafes in Iraq. And Google turns up zilch as well. Antarctica has better connectivity. Interesting. <laughs> Probably talking about McMurdo. Um, how can a modern hacker live without an internet connection? And why would I go anyway? The key to the answer to the first question is the word modern. And the key to the answer to the second question is more complex, but can be summarized with the words teach and protest. I am a modern hacker but I've been interested in computers since I was a child in the early 1970s when hack meant create and not the current media corruption, which essentially translates to destroy. This was a time when there were no visible computers and the government still decided who had ARPANET access. ARPANET is the progenitor of the internet that the government created. Um, and just real quick on that, unfortunately I, I definitely subscribe to the idea um, That there's a lot of apologists who like to say that, you know, the Internet wasn't actually created by the government. But the unfortunate truth is um, and there's a great book about it, but I the name escapes me right now. Um, But the unfortunate truth is, is that the government did create the Internet. That's not to say that other people wouldn't have created it, you know, sooner if there wasn't so much government intervention before now. Uh, or before the 1970s when ARPANET was a deal, but um, but as it stands, you know, if someone tries to tell you, well, actually, no, it wasn't the government; it was this. No, nah, it's pretty clear that that the the government created the internet. Anyway, we'll go on. Around then, the first ad started appearing for Steve Jobs's and Steve Wozniak's Apple II, first computer I ever used. Actually, a useful configuration costs the same as taking a family to Europe. Or the United States if you're European configuration meaning you get the Apple II, you know with various hardware specifications and computers interestingly used to cost thousands of dollars as to where today they only cost a couple hundred if not less a real physical computer like the ones I saw in the magazines that taught me to program were simply out of the question my only computer was imaginary it existed only as a simulation in my head and in my notebook the old-fashioned paper kind my computer programs were just lists of commands and parameters on paper much like those programs of the first hacker alan turing who hand-simulated the world's first chess program in the 1940s before the computers he fathered existed of course i gleaned my commands and parameters from magazines and trash cans while turing seems to have uh, have gotten them from god The situation is much the same for Iraqi children today, remember this is 2003, as it was for me in the 1970s, except the children of Iraq have no computer magazines to teach them to program and, to teach them to program, and UN and US sanctions are killing them at the rate of 5,000 to 6,000 per month. Now, he's not, he's not, per month, he's not saying that they're killing computer magazines, they're killing children. Uh, We'll go on. My plan of teaching and protest begins with a flight to Oman, Jordan, sometime early in 2003, from where I will drive overland to Iraq, even if bombs are falling. I will take no electronics, no computer, not even a camera, just pen and paper and my 1976 copy of David All's The Best of Creative Computing. Uh, that is an, an interesting book to, to look up. And in fact, the, the best of creative, David All's book for, for A plus a+ certification which is, is a computer course that you can go through to, you know, to say to companies, hey, I know this about computers. Um, that, is still, that is still recommended for people when they're going for A-plus certification. If you want to get down to the bare bones of computing, uh, the best of creative computing is, is really, really top drawer. I imagine it's been updated a few times and maybe the newer editions or are, are something else. But uh, I actually I remember reading that. My dad had a copy of that. I think I read it back in, like, 92. And I mean, it's still a very viable book. Uh, Okay, we'll keep going with the story. I will go from town to town and school to school teaching about programming and Alan Turing's imaginary computer and how to teach the same. If there is war, I will stand by my fellow pacifists at hospitals and water treatment plants willing to die with Iraq's innocent citizens. If I live through a day's bombing, I will write to the world about it at night. In a land where medicine and toys are blocked by U.N. and U.S. sanctions and those who take it upon themselves to bring them in either risked uh, 12 years in prison, a $1 million fine and a $250,000 administrative fine, I think even an imaginary computer will make a difference. It is simply true that one day Iraq will return to the world and if we do nothing now, an entire generation will be completely dysfunctional in this computer-dominated world. As an individual person, I can't possibly smuggle in enough medicine or toys to make but the tiniest of difference. But as a hacker, I can smuggle in an idea, the idea of Alan Turing's imaginary computer and try to infect a people's children with skill and hope. Incredibly impressive story. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure if Chris McCrinsky, you know, went over and did this stuff, um, I hope he did because I, I applaud his efforts. And let's take a moment then to talk about Alan Turing, which he, he was he constantly uh, Chris McCrinsky here uh, was referencing the, the Turing machine that he was going to teach to to the Iraqis. Um, I mean, baseline, I mean, the, the, what the, what this this hacker is doing is is great, you know, bringing technology in its rawest form to people that don't have it. Um, I mean, nowadays Iraq has gotten to the, I mean, Iraq has internet, Iraq has, you know, and the government's not so much controlling it though they still are to a degree. Um, but I just, I really, I think this is, this is great, great stuff. Um, anyway, so to talk a little about Alan Turing, if you're wondering who he was, Alan Turing is kind of considered the, the father, the godfather of, of computing. Uh, he was a British gentleman and he, he died in like 1954, Um, really young age of 41 and interestingly though he was a homosexual um and he i mean he was and, and in fact homosexuality in britain at the time you know back in uh uh you know in the 50s even or well 50s and before essentially in his lifetime um you know that that was that was a criminal offense to be homosexual and in 52 i think it was he got charged you know, with, okay, look, you're going to have to go to prison because you're gay, because you want to have sex with, with other men, because you're in love with, uh, you know, another man. Okay, so go to prison for that. Wow, that that's great. Uh, not. Anyway, and he, instead of going to prison, he actually took, a, what they did is they offered the treatment of giving him female hormones, Uh, you know, to, to make him change his ways. And, and it's really, when you read Alan Turing's story, it's so sad because the guy was so brilliant because now the Turing machine that the hacker was talking about, that he was going to teach in Iraq essentially is all it is. It's, it's just a machine. It's not, it's not what you would think of as far as a traditional computer or traditional PC. What it is, it's a machine that can read tape as in like audio cassette tape or, you know, magnetic tape anyway. Of that kind, it's a machine that can read that. The machine has certain program, you know, has certain things like that. It's meant to do when it sees, uh, you know, and then on the tape you put various forms of information on the tape, and when the machine reads the tape, you know, it it does the action that the tape is telling it to do. And here's the interesting thing about the Turing machine is that it's it's this really really simple machine. I mean, it's 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 hypothetical. I don't know that any had ever actually really been made, but the Turing machine, while it is really simple, can actually, it can simulate any, any algorithm that a computer can do today. So essentially, theoretically, a Turing machine could do Google and it was invented in, you know, the 1940s. Yeah. Um, I I mean, granted, okay, yes, you know, it wouldn't have a monitor and all this stuff, you know, to, 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 but I mean that, that could have been figured out. So, so it's, to teach children how the Turing machine works is the way to explain at the very base level, how, you know, processors work, how CPUs work in computers. And so essentially how computers really work. And that's, I mean, that's a great idea to go anywhere with, you know, but especially in Iraq, um, you know, because, because if you teach computers at that level, what you can essentially do is, is that okay like if you just take here, here's the thing now i think it is great when companies send laptops to like africa um or the middle east or you know to countries where there there's some real need of education i i i am not insulting any of those efforts but the the laptops they send the laptops were designed in like this in southeast asia and in in america Or, you know, other, you know, more first or second world countries, whatever. And the laptops are designed in mind with the fact that, you know, it's going to exist in the environments of those of those areas, you know, of America, where it's not very harsh and life's not very harsh. So when they send these laptops over, I've heard stories where, I mean, these these laptops don't last long with these kids because, I mean, it's where they live. It's, It's their environment. So they're not designed to do that as to where if you taught kids like this hacker was proposing If you taught kids the turing machine if you taught them how computers work in principle and theory The kids would later develop the computer To match their environment and their needs to match the needs that the children have Okay If i'm going to you know if part of my life is crossing a river a lot I'm going to make a machine that's waterproof Do you get the picture of what you know what i'm saying? And so that's a great, great way to do it. You don't just take it over there and, like, well, here's Windows, you know. And there, there's something to be said for that because, you know, operating systems like Windows or Ubuntu or OSX, you know, are very graphical-based. And so it's easy for people that can't even read to figure out what to do. So there's something to that, no doubt about it. And, and like I said, I am not knocking. Like, when, when Amazon sends, you know, millions of Kindles to, you know, Zimbabwe, I fantastic. Yes, please help, you know, help, help people there learn, educate them. That's wonderful. Okay. But I'm just saying that, that for like sustainability, you know, technological sustain, sustainability, which I feel that technological sustainability brings on true freedom. Um, you, you know, th- th- this is how you do it. You teach them how a computer works at its basic level. And the Turing machine is very, very basic. And, you know, and things can just go from there. Not even to just kids, teach it to adults too. It's so simple. Um, you know, hit up Wikipedia and type in the Turing machine and, and you'll see what it's all about. And and it's amazing. And, and I mean, and theoretically, you know, uh, if you had an infinite amount of magnetic tape, the Turing machine could figure out anything, you know, I mean, it, it would take on, you know, the best Cray two machine or Cray five machines that, you know, all these various agencies build. Um, but anyway and and equally though i i'm I'm impressed by the the candor of this hacker he knows people are dying and he doesn't and he wants to stop that he wants to put an end to people dying and if you can get people to a point to where you know some some degree of like self-sufficiency um you know technologically or whatever then they don't have to rely on their own government or on forces coming from elsewhere. And that's part of what he's trying to do. And then he said, you know, I mean, and I, I get it. This person could be all talk, but it's good talk. It's good words. It's where ideas come from. And to teach people all over the world, you know, how all this happens. I mean, there, there's a way to freedom. There's a way to personal liberty. uh, And there's a way to, you know, to understanding things and and i just i I mean i read the story and I, i i mean i know it's from 2003 but i was so so impressed and and i hope he did it and i hope there was you know i hope that had a degree of fruition and even if you know uh iraqi people aren't building their own computers um i hope it helped them get a better understanding of what they do have now you know because i mean they use Toshiba's over there and you know whatever else now but uh but at the time you know I could see that as 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 really as al- allowing for one person you know I mean one person can make a difference and maybe that gave them that nice little leap to where when technology came in uh unfortunately maybe through the butt of a gun that they were able to use it to their needs i really hope that happened uh anyway great great story um i do want to mention that aaron schwartz who is will probably may go down as as a bigger hacker than Kevin Mitnick unfortunately because of his death because not not Kevin Mitnick's death but Aaron Schwartz's death at a very young age. Um he's all over the news right he, right now and uh, a lot of people have been asking me are you going to do a sovereign tech about Aaron Schwartz and I most certainly will. I consider Aaron Schwartz a hero. Um if anything you know, and I'm not the only one who who thinks that uh, Jeffrey Tucker did a great write up, uh, almost like an obituary that should have been. Um, and Aaron Schwartz, you know, essentially real quick, was he was he was a hacker. He was trying to free information. Sometimes he did it legally with money. Other times may have been more questionable. And the government was essentially going to lock him up for at least 30 years, if not longer. And he took his own life. Very sad. And. I've been waiting. I want all the information to come out. It seems like the past two, three weeks, there's just been something new every day, some new revelation or whatever. And so the reason I haven't touched on Aaron Schwartz yet is I just, I want to make sure that as much information gets out there as possible. Um, you know, I mean, but this is the nature of of doing, a you know, doing a show, especially about technology, because I mean, technology just changes every second. Um, like, actually, when I was recording the Bitcoin special, the very first Bitcoin special, that day, the day that I released it, I, re- I, I recorded it before before the day I released it. But the day I released it came out a story saying that Douala um, was canceling Bitcoin accounts and all this stuff. And so, you see, I mean, if I had, now, fortunately, I didn't in the show, but if I had recommended to people, okay, use Douala to get Bitcoins... That, that could have been a mess, you know? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's how this medium, you know, that's how this information medium works. And I did put it in the show notes that you might want to be wary about it. Supposedly, duala cleared up the mess and they're actually, they're not, um, you know, they're not shutting down Bitcoin uh, uh, accounts essentially, but they're still in their, in their, uh, you know, EULAs and their, you know, user license agreements or whatever they they're still saying that, you know, we can just turn off your account at any given time and too bad. So that's still questionable. But anyway, so I just want to with with Aaron Schwartz, um, I will probably it'll probably be a full episode about him. I don't know if it'll be a special, but it'll be a pretty much complete episode. And, you know, that will be coming. That may be coming next week. Uh, There will. So there'll be a special next week and then probably that episode but i just again i want to make sure i have all the information out there i wish i had more information with with chris mccrinsky here on whether or not you know what his travels in I- iraq were like i have not seen any uh but if you do find if you do find info on on this story that i just shared from 2003 uh email me at sovereigntech at hush.ai or reach me through the tumblr page sovereigntech.tumblr.com and let me know uh, we'll be right back with more sovereign tech
1: This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C-therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby. I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't.
0: But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old.
1: (sighs) It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me.
0: But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff.
1: Well... Then
0: I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. week. It is time for Pick of the Week. Um, And this week I I had a couple requests for... There's an ad during the show for Babylon 5 that I made myself that I'm really proud of because I've actually gotten, let's see, the count as of now is 17 people have told me that they started watching Babylon five because they heard the ad and because, you know, I, I can be a bit of an ass in promoting it. Um, and Babylon five, what Babylon five is. I mean, it's, it's a science fiction franchise, um, that started in, let's see, 1993. It started in, and they had a, a little, a little pilot movie called the gathering, not to be confused with Highlander. um, that, you know, it was like a pilot movie that Fox showed one, one night. And then they, you know, a year later, they finally started with season one. Um, and now the, you know, the show consists of five seasons. Uh, you know, it ended in like 98. They had five seasons and six TV movies. Yeah, six TV movies. Um, it, it got, it, well, let me, let me back up on it a little bit. And it also it has a sequel show or a spin-off show called Crusade, which went about like 11 episodes or 13 episodes or something. Um, and Babylon 5, you know you have to put it in context. Uh, the important thing, you know before I say what it is, the important thing is that it was released in a time 93 when there was really there was very, very little science fiction anywhere, at least new science fiction, fresh science fiction that, you know, that was being made by any kind of uh, network or something. Um, I mean, star Trek, the next generation was out there, you know, star Trek was, was on, it was definitely on a high point 93. Uh, I think D space nine came out the same year, but other than that, there really, there wasn't a whole lot of science fiction to be had on television. And so that made it unique in that, Oh, okay. There's something besides star Trek that I can watch if you're into science fiction. And there, there was a, like a syndication was big at the time because networks weren't too, too big on, uh, you know, taking risks with shows and everything. And I mean, even Star Trek was syndicated, you know, or Star Trek, the next generation was, you know, it would end up, you could, you either saw it on Fox or you saw it on ABC, you know, whatever local regional area wanted to pick it up. And so there was this like block of shows that, and I don't know the total history behind this, but it was called PTEN, like the primetime entertainment network. And there, there was various shows that came out for it, you know, and a lot of them were science fiction and not all of them were that great, but uh, but Babylon 5 was was one of them at the time. Um, and so just on the fact, I mean, a lot of people got to watching it just because, you know, again, it was the only other science fiction show out there, you know, so what are you going to do? That's what you're going to watch. And it's about, it's about a space station. It's, it's going to sound, if you've watched D space nine, it's going to sound a lot like D space nine, but actually it's been confirmed that D space nine copied the ideas off of Babylon five. Um, and that like Gene Roddenberry hated D space nine. But I think, I think the, the producers of star Trek, like Rick Berman, um, and I've never, I know Brandon Braga. I've never been able to ask him this question, but I really should, if he had any idea because he was involved with, with the next generation at that time, um, was, you know, was that D space nine w- w- saw the story because Babylon five, here's the other unique thing is, is it, it watches like a novel it, you know, each episode, I mean, the episodes are kind of like singular entities, but they attach to each other and they go you know, like, like the events in one affect the next episode, which is pretty unique at the time for, for any television show, let alone science fiction. And so to really get the story and to really get into it, it's just like when you read a book, you know, okay, yeah, there might be like an action packed first chapter to hook you, but which is kind of like what the, the original movie that came out in 93 was supposed to do. But then you had to get through wade through some character development and you had to wade through some like boring parts of the story. You know, which would be like the first season, first you know, first two seasons of Babylon Five. So it had this huge story arc, okay? And there, there, there was a book that that actually propagated the idea that D Space Nine copied Babylon Five, because you know, in in saying that, well, it's a great idea. Um, this, this book wasn't written by anybody involved with Star Trek though uh, it was a great idea you know they saw a lot of potential for like this overall story arc but it was too it was the, the episodes were too connected and that that would be considered boring to the to the average watcher and which is humorous to say because that's one of the that Gene Roddenberry always used to sell Star Trek on the fact that the reason Star Trek was so big and why it was so successful and why it stuck for decades was because it didn't treat the, viewer, the average television viewer as an idiot. It treated that person as a person, as an intelligent human being. And I agree. I think Star Trek did do that way back when. Um, and Babylon 5, I feel, does the same thing. So it's just kind of funny that the argument against it was the argument for, the argument against Babylon 5, from a Star Trek perspective, was the argument for Star Trek and why it was so good. Um, anyway, so so that's kind of the first thing that has to be said about Babylon five is that you have to get through quite a few. And I realize that this is an investment of time. You have to get through the first season or two before you, before it really picks up. And then suddenly you go, Whoa, all this is going on. This was planned, you know, 27 episodes ago. And now it's, it's finally coming into fruition and you're seeing all, and it becomes very exciting because it's almost like, especially if you watched it at the time, you were like growing with the show. You know what I mean? And you even and and it's interesting, too. And a lot of shows kind of do this now. Like I, I can remember Smallville kind of got more mature as its audience got more mature because Smallville was on for 10 years, you know. So, of course, you know, someone that started watching it at 10 by the time they get to the eighth season, they're 18 and they want, you know, some sexy goods. And And that's what Smallville would deliver. And so anyway, but so Babylon Five would kind of do that where we're in it, and it really pioneered that to where they knew that their audience kind of grew up with them or emotionally grew with the characters and, and and things like that and And if it's a good story, you should be able to relate to the characters. That's what grabs you. you know uh, and and there are you know, I, I feel that a good story. I mean, then this is just my opinion on it and my own needs of what I want out of a story. but I want heroes. I want tremendous heroes. Uh, I want people, you know, to kind of emulate, I mean, not to get too deep into, not to get off track on this, but I've always said that television raised me, my, my parents didn't. And I think that's a very true statement and you know, whether or not that's good or bad, I think it's good, but other people could feel differently and fine. Um, anyway, Babylon five was one of those shows that I would say raised me and it has a lot of very Liberty themes like, you know, don't don't just trust the pop the, the government, don't trust the propaganda, uh, things, things like that. And so it's about this station, you know, that's out in the middle of, you know, really far away from Earth, which is, you know, their home base. The station has a lot of humans. Uniquely, the show, see, this is so difficult because you, you, you kind of had to be there in 93 to see what science fiction was at the time. Because now everybody kind of ripped off Babylon five and it's like, yeah, okay, we'll just have a ton of, you know, there'll be a ton of aliens. That's where when Babylon five, when they had a ton of aliens and they had aliens that didn't even look bipedal, uh, that was, that was really like revolutionary stuff at the time because, you know, normally science fiction was just a bunch of humans going around the earth or, you know, going around the galaxy, um, as to where this really, really put, put aliens at the forefront uh, really gave them their own cultures, like really gave them their own cultures and really sewed everything together, um, really well. So, so, you know, that's hard to explain. And and, and actually a lot of this is hard to explain. I'm, I'm trying really hard, you know, cause people say, well, why, why does Babylon 5 such a big deal? And I'm, I'm definitely trying to lay that out right now, but I'm not, you know, not saying that it's easy, but anyway, um, You know, one, one of the big things, again, since you have this canvas, which the show went five years, so you had five years to lay out a bunch of stuff. Um, they actually, they thought they were going to get canceled in the fourth, in the fourth season. So they kind of rushed storylines in the fourth season, unfortunately. And so the fifth season, like you might feel like it's kind of like the first season where it's just like bonus. It's almost like bonus episodes, you know, but it's fine when, you know, still big stuff happens in it, you know, really epic, uh, uh you know events and everything occur in the fifth season so it's not like the show gets weak you just kind of notice that it's not as like coherent as say the season three and four uh anyway i, th- I think one of the things that really attracts people to it is that it, it touched on some very very deep issues uh and i don't mean like it touched on the iraq war or something not that there was well there was an I- iraq war to some degree at that time um you know because that's what a lo- that's what a lot of people say Battlestar the new battlestar galactica whatever that means uh, was was about you know it touched on like modern things that were happening Babylon 5 touched on things that were happening but I, it touched on big things like really really big things like the idea of order versus chaos war and peace uh, religion you know sacrifice dreams and visions addiction I mean it it touched on just human issues that have always been human issues for as long as recorded history anyway um, of course we only have recorded history for 6,000 years when we could have had recorded history for a hundred thousand years, but that's another story. We can talk about that another time and it has nothing to do with Babylon five, by the way, but you have this, you know, like this, there's these, uh, certain races of aliens that are very old, like they've been flying, you know, they've been going around in space for thousands, mm-hmm. if not hundreds of thousands of years. Like there's, there's this group called the, or there's this race called the Vorlons and you, you kind of, I mean, I don't want to give a whole lot of stuff away, but there's another ancient group of aliens called, uh, the, the shadows actually, according to the show, the real name is 10,000 characters long, but no human tongue can pronounce it kind of funny. Um, and, and they're, they're kind of like the protagonists that are, or not the protagonists. They're, they're kind of the, they're like against each other. And it's all about the younger races like humans. Uh, there's others, the, the mimbari which are like in between they're not like really young but they're not old either uh in in the Centuri and um the narn and it's them finding their their path in the galaxy and that's really kind of what the show is all about but it gets interesting especially for like anarchists and liberty people uh even though those words should be syn- I, I i imagine would be synonymous but they're often not uh it, it gets into where you know like like there's secession that occurs uh and there's you know again, all the you know, things about civil liberties that get discussed um there there's like references to McCarthyism, all stuff that Battlestar galactica I suppose kind of did you know later ten, fifteen years later when it finally got made, but I mean when you know a person could have just watched Babylon Five and gotten the same thing uh, and and had heroes out of it while they were at it but you know, all all that stuff is in there. The idea, you know, what is it like to be in a peaceful time? What is it like to be in a in a warlike time, or you know, where where there's tons of wars going on? The religious aspects are very very interesting. What are the origins of religion? That that's a fascinating topic that gets discussed. Again, I don't want to give a whole lot away because you know I want you to enjoy the mystery of of, of watching the show. I mean, and if you really want to know what it's all about, go. You know, you can go to Wikipedia and you can read it on Babylon Five just how big a deal it is. Um, But, you know, and there's even like it deals with drug addiction, uh, you know, just all, all this really, really deep, deep stuff, which again is important because, you know, I mean, Star Trek at times would touch on, I mean, Star Trek was great because it always was like a good moral story, but Star Trek never really went deep and like dark, you know, into like the dark parts of humanity as to where, uh, Babylon five does. And in fact, it, it also touches on another interesting aspect, which, uh, it, it touches on um, telepathy because there there's by that time, it, I think the show takes place in year like 2351 or something and, you know, goes on for each year. Uh, there's this, this thing called the Psychor, where it's a group of telepaths and like they have to be regulated, you know, because you wouldn't want people that can just read your mind, you know, being able to do whatever they want and going around or, you know, that's what that's what earth people say. You know, I'm not saying that I don't. If there were real telepaths, you know, I, I would expect them to, to, you know, appreciate my property rights of my own mind and body. But anyway, so you have that, it deals with telepathy and like, what would it really be like if there were telepaths, uh, things like that. It, I mean, it, it's just amazing all the issues that it gets into and you walk away from it. I walked away from it as, as a younger person. I mean, cause I watched it, you know, as, as it was on. And, and it very much, um, molded me because it had so many big ideas in it and, and it treated other forms of life with such respect. You know, it wasn't, and maybe that might be one of the biggest things for me about the show was that it, it wasn't like anthropocentric or, uh uh, what do they call that? Like human superior, sorry, I can't think of the word where humans are like, you know, the epitome, they're the apple of God's eye. Uh, cause I, I don't believe that, you know, or at least, I mean, humans are special, but they're not the only thing that's special. And so, so it, it kind of, you know, said that humans are just like everybody else, you know, and, and I thought, and that was a really interesting thing to see. And a lot of people always talk about how racism has been easily dealt with in science fiction for, you know, 70, 80 years. And yet society took forever to catch up and and that's true. And, and I think Babylon five takes it to, it's like logical conclusion where no, you know, you really got to look at things and you got a question and you've got to kind of get off this ego kick that somehow humans are, are, are the hot stuff, be, you know, because maybe there's people who are equal, you know? And I'm, I mean, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not the judge of that, but I'm just saying that, that it's, it's a thought to, to consider. Um, You know, because I I wonder about that sometimes, you know, if if an alien race came down and people would just, you know, it's like, well, you're not human and and racism would just kind of start all over again. And, uh, you know, and and that's kind of disconcerting. But anyway, Babylon 5, it's just a really great realization of the future. Uh, Unfortunately, I would have hoped by the year 2350, whatever, that, uh, you know, Earth would be an anarchist society. But, you know, that's just my own hopes, my own wants. But uh, that, you know, that didn't happen. But that's okay. It's still very enjoyable. Uh, I really don't know, other than a couple books like The Great Explosion um, or uh, some stuff by, like, Victor Corman that, you know, that talks about, like, anarchy in the future. So, But maybe one day those will get made into a show or a movie. Who knows? But, uh, all right, well, that this is it for Sovereign Tech. And I, I thought, you know, hope you had a good time. Uh, I thought it was a very fun show. Uh, don't forget about that Brazilian wandering spider. I mean there there's some there's some possibilities in there. I mean that's just nature, you know. That's as natural as any plant. <laughs> it's just spider venom that, hey, you might end up with a great night <laughs> if you're a guy, and, or and you know a woman that enjoys that, or a guy that enjoys the uh, the effects of that. So yeah, just, just a great show. Uh, don't forget to. Uh, this is something I've gotten a lot of followers on the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sovereigntech. It's S-O-V-R-Y-N. And and I appreciate that. Uh, I'd love to connect with people more on the Facebook page, I think, now, is either that or like on SoundCloud or, or on Tumblr. Again, there's a totally redone Tumblr site, Sovereintech.tumblr.com. You can check it out. And we probably will be going for sovereigntech.com pretty pretty soon but the site won't be changing we'll, you know i'm just going to have that to where it's something you can go to but yeah check those out Try, you know get connected with the show and email me sovereign tech at hush.ai and talk to me tell me you know I'm, I'm open to anything um i've gotten a lot of great emails already great story ideas uh the tech roulette today uh again was actually from from the producer but the tech roulette i I literally do eeny meeny miny mo. i think it's just stephanie is so so wonderful and, and kind and such a such a great well, she's my girlfriend. She's great. And she, uh, you know, I think she just she gives me so many stories that somehow they, they just kind of outsource the rest. But anyway, we will get to your stories. And uh, this has been Brian Sovereign with you. And you've been listening to Sovereign Tech. And I'll catch you next week. Thanks.
1: This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. That's S O V R Y N tech.tumblr.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds.